William Duvall is an artist who loves the power of words and knowledge. He is the lead singer for Seattle hard rock icons Alice in Chains, and he also fronts Giraffe Tongue Orchestra, a side project which includes members of Mastodon, the Dillinger Escape Plan, and the Mars Volta. Duvall recently released his superlative first solo album called One Alone, which features just him and an acoustic guitar. It's a nice change of pace from the hard rocking sounds he normally creates, and it's a very personal effort. Outside of music, Duvall devours biographies and historical nonfiction, which factors into episode 8 of Side Jams. This is Brian Reisman, and I spoke with William in a conference room at Cheddar TV in New York City prior to an appearance there. He may sound more soft-spoken compared to his onstage presence, but he still had plenty to chat about. During our conversation, we discussed his reading habits and choices, the value of knowing your history, and ultimately how he took charge of his destiny by deciding where he would attend high school. He escaped a failing public school system in Atlanta by attending an enlightened private institution. It was his passionate plea for admittance that inspired the head educator there to take him on at no cost to his family. This last part of the interview is really engaging because he becomes very passionate about relating those childhood experiences to someone else. It's actually one of my favorite moments so far in this podcast series. Now before we dive in, I want to mention that Duval invokes an author who wrote a Thomas Jefferson biography, but his name escaped him at that moment. The author's name is John Meacham. First of all, I'm enjoying your solo album. Thank you. You know, I like this because this is actual, an actual real side project as opposed to, you know, like Sully Erna did from <laughs> Godsmack did the same thing. Like it was very acoustic. Mm-hmm. One song almost had like a big band kind of feel. Okay. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, this isn't, it's entirely different from what you're doing with Alice in Chains. I mean, there are mellow moments in Alice right. in Chains, but right. you've got, this showcases a different side of you. Yes. Which yes. I really like. Well, I mean, that was, that was the whole point, I think, is to get extremely reductive, get it all down to one voice, one guitar, yeah. and just see what, what could be made of that. And I think that that is, could not only serve as sort of a, you know, palate cleanser from the last 20 years of more rock based band records that I've done but it also could serve as a really nice springboard for future rock based solo albums that I might make it's like well we started from actual square one of this is this is as totally like distilled as we could get and now we can branch out from there you know yeah the quality of your voice with that specific guitar, it seems like a nice tonal match. Yeah. Well, what's, what guitar specifically are you playing? That was a Gibson J185 that I borrowed off my good friend Jimmy Deemer. Okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> so not even my guitar. And I made an entire album with it because I, I actually used that guitar on, on a couple of things. And, um, and every time I go to his house, I love playing it. And so I just I made the whole record with it. I was like, I'm not going to find anything better than this. So Yeah. And I've used it on, rec- on records I've produced for other bands. Even it's just one of those guitars. You That's know. cool. But now I got a couple of you know couple Gibsons that I'm really happy with. So now I hear you're, you're like you like to you like to read biographies and you're into history. Yeah. Now obviously there's a lot of personal history on this album. Is there any out- history outside of that that inspired any of the lyrics here? Oh, you know, I, maybe if maybe if I combed through that stuff I might be able to find a reference here or there but no that stuff is mostly just sort of more the more on the personal side you know it's not like oh there's a subtle reference to Thomas Jefferson and you know like his writings at Monticello there's no real historical references on there but I do like historical biographies and that sort of thing Uh, and just biographies in general I love I love entertainment biographies as well what have you been reading lately? Well, I just started last night. I started one on Johnny Carson. Oh, really? Written by his lawyer. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Henry, Henry Bushkin wrote this book. And, 
And it's interesting because he was a real confidant and sort of the the guy behind the guy for yeah. about 20 years. So I am very interested to see. I mean, it's already, you know, kind of juicy. But I, I love that kind of thing. And, and before that, I, um, I finished the oral history of sort of New York punk, the real early New York punk, Please Kill Me. Yeah, and yeah. It actually goes back. Legs McNeil? Is that... Yeah, Legs McNeil's book. And, and it actually goes back to the 60s, obviously, with the Velvet, the Velvet Underground and the Stooges and stuff. You know, all these bands that I love. I mean, Wayne Kramer of the MC5 is a great friend of mine. And, yeah, yeah. And so it was just really nice to read this oral history because as much as I knew about these bands and that time period, there were so many stories that I didn't, that I hadn't heard or read sure. from this oral history. And... It was really great that it got into some of the the lesser known figures in that scene who were sure. very important and really pivotal, and has them talking in their own words about all of these pivotal people. It was yeah. really really entertaining. And then before that, I finished a biography on Oscar Michaud, mm-hmm. the, the filmmaker, the black filmmaker okay. from over a hundred years ago, who oh, was wow. yeah he was making he was making independent films. At the dawn of Hollywood, with the Melvin Van Peebles of, uh, of the early twentieth century. Yeah, and he well, it was before that he started in the in the in the in the teens making films. He 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 started as an as an author. This guy has the most interesting life of anyone I've ever read. He started. He actually was a he was born in like a farm community, mm-hmm. and then he moved to like the Midwest by himself, away from his family in the yeah. South, and he learned how to be a farmer there. And then he became an author, self-published author, and then he became a DIY filmmaker. And wow. you can imagine what this man went through as a black person trying to do anything back then, but certainly as one who was trying to make independent films and distribute them. And he was making films about black people, too. So it was, yeah. uh, you know, he went through everything that you can imagine and some things that you probably couldn't even imagine but. you know it's funny there's a whole history of like film and, and literature everything we just don't know about for example I remember when they finally put out Dracula the original Dracula with Bela mm. Lugosi on Blu-ray or DVD <clears throat> actually there's the Spanish language version of Dracula that was shot at the exact same time different cast same sets wow. so when the English language production wasn't shooting in those then the Spanish language version would do it and evidently it was like wow. a big hit it's a little longer it's darker it's sexier Interesting, and then it just—I never heard about it. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't—I wasn't such a huge, I guess, film uh, film buff in that. Well, this Dracula buff in that area. So mm-hmm. then when I found, it, I was like, "That's interesting." And then it was in the last decade, all these Mexican horror movies get reissued. So recently, you had the Curse of La Llorona, which was you know produced by James Wan. It's uh-huh. a horror movie that came out, but that was the Curse of the Crying One. That movie, make, movie came out in Mexico like around 1960. Wow! So man. the whole history of Mexican film we don't know about. Yeah, that's that's, that's that is cool when. Uh so wait, Lugosi was not in the Spanish version? No, it was a totally different cast. Different, different cast completely, even the star. So Lugosi uh, was the better Dracula, but then mm-hmm. the Spanish version was basically better. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> if that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess the, you know, the one that we know is sort of more uptight in English. You know? <laughs> They're just the whole you know, Colin Clive and those kind, of, <laughs> those kind of actors. But Lugosi was interesting just because he had to learn all of his lines phonetically. Yeah, like, he didn't even really know what he was saying. <laughs> it kind of, it kind of sounds that way sometimes, which is pretty great, you know. Well, you know, there's actually I was in uh, Cuba a couple of years ago, and it was this uh, American and British or European rock tribute band, and they were doing like Bon Jovi and ACDC, but evidently the two women that were singing don't know English, so they were singing phonetic, and I couldn't tell. 
That's so great. It was hilarious. And I talked great. to the band after. It was like, yeah, they just don't know any. That's <laughs> <was> awesome. <laughs> I, I try to say something on stage every country we go to in the native language. And if I can, I try to get two or three things to say just yeah. because it's why not? And, and it just, it's just a show of respect to the people. And, and it's really funny being put in that position where it's, I have no idea how this relates to, I mean, sometimes, you know, you can see a relationship, obviously, mm-hmm. in France, any Latin-based language, you, yeah, can, yeah. you can see the connections. But when you get over into Eastern Europe, there's, it's like you might as well be speaking Klingon or something. It's like there's just no relationship to anything that we know. And <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I, I'm learning the sounds and I'm just hoping I can, you know, that I'm not butchering it. And hoping that somebody and, told you the right words to say. Well, of course, you gotta, you gotta vet it. You gotta vet your source. You do. That's important. But yeah, that, that, yeah, I gotta do that. I always check it against two or three people and, yeah, yeah. you know find the trustworthy faces to ask and that sort of thing but and i think about things like that like the 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 singers you mentioned and, yeah, yeah. and you know and Lugosi, it's like wow man like to be doing that for a whole movie that's just wild you know like it is incredible so now what are the books what are the, what are the interesting books unusual biographies or things that you- oh you know i don't know nothing unusual just i love I love. I mean, I, there actually is a biography on Thomas Jefferson that I've been working on, mm-hmm. um, off and on for a while. Um, it's the um, the one who's the fellow that's always on on. Uh, he's a pundit on MSNBC and CNN. The great historical writer. It's his book on Jefferson that okay. I'm reading. I'm, he's always on Bill Maher's show. He's 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 in a lot of different places. He's actually working on. He's the guy that's doing the thing with Tim McGraw right now, the okay. Songs of America. It's that guy. His book on Jefferson. Okay. Um, and uh, anybody, man. I mean, Winston Churchill, I love, you know, just whoever's been moving and shaking and doing some stuff. It's like, wow, you know, I'd like to know a little bit more about the everyday sort of mundane stuff that these people went through when they were <laughs> when they were also but, changing history, you know. Well, and that's the thing too. It's like you always hear about the famous moments or the one or two really right. big things that they did and you don't and it's always nice to when you get a, a sense of where people came from. Because it, it's like sure. it, you know it, it's kind of funny like you know we we work in, you know, in the entertainment industry and people think, "Oh, you get to do a, meet all these people and go all these places." Like, yeah, and half the time it's really boring or more than half the time right. it's really, you're you're sitting backstage, I'm sitting in my apartment typing. It's like is that 10 or 20% of the time for me that's really cool. Right. And the rest right. of it's like, you know, it's like a job. And I, so I was saying when we were coming up, I don't like to get jaded about it either. You know, I don't want to treat it like, oh, it's a business. Like, it's fun. Yeah. But it, it, I think people need, especially young people, if they want to aspire to be like somebody, it's good for them to know that other people went through the exact same thing that they did and had yeah. the same embarrassing yeah. first date and the same, sure, sure. you know, weird time in college or <laughs> sure. yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Absolutely, and you're also a ba- so you're also a history buff as well in terms of yeah. Your- I mean, I you know sure you know you got to make sense of what's happening, you know everything that's happening right now. It didn't just come out of nowhere. Oh know? yeah, and there's, there's enough there are enough historical precedents to figure yeah. out where it could go. Right, exactly, <laughs> and 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 exactly, and anyone who thinks otherwise, oh, it could never happen here. It's like no. <laughs> Yes, no, it could, and it, and you know, a lot of other people said that too, <laughs> and it but, did, and, and and that's the frustrating <laughs> thing is that you know I think for I mean people still read I mean you argue that more people are reading now thanks to the internet but I think they're mm-hmm. also getting used to shorter bits that they're reading right. like even when I go on like the New York Times website or you go to Vanity Fair or wherever mm-hmm. you want to go 
Mm-hmm. If you go to the post, Vanity Fair's got some good writing. I, yeah. I always like that magazine's writing. Yeah. yeah. At the same time, the stories are epic, yeah. so you have to be prepared to sit down. And we're yeah. so used to scrolling through everything, and I'll have thirty tabs open on my computer, like, mm-hmm. oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. You know, like when am I going to get to all this stuff? And then you, and it starts to become this ADD thing where you don't really absorb everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why with me, I like to travel with books, actual books. As opposed to like a Kindle or your phone. Oh yeah, I don't do that. I don't do that. I, I it's, a, it's a book. Yeah. So it adds a lot of weight to my luggage, but it's too bad. You know <laughs> what I mean? It's like most of the time I'm not having to carry it anyway. So. <laughs> Like, but yeah, I travel with books and magazines, and I go to bookstores, and and yeah. you know because that's the whole thing to me. It's now the phone goes down, and now the book gets cracked open, and now we're gonna we're gonna deal with some pages, and we're gonna deal with holding it, and that's the whole thing to me. Yeah, I know I do like that. It's like my, and my girlfriend reads books on her on her phone, but she knows she commutes. You know, yeah. in the city on the L train, and it's yeah. packed, and she just yeah, yeah, that's a whole different. I mean, I bought her like a five hundred page book, uh, that book, The Night Circus, mm-hmm. uh, for like Christmas a couple of years ago, and then she eventually she started reading, and eventually just bought the Kindle version. I'm like, no, what the point <laughs> is I got you a book? But you it's know. a five hundred page book. <laughs> yeah, oops, yeah, my bad. But I, I don't know, and I do. I mean, I love the smell of old books too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love going to like like I, yeah. one of the interviews I did for this. I interviewed Alex Skolnick, and we went to the Strand. Oh, we just walked yeah. around for an hour. That's great. And just randomly looked at books. That's great. What's that place in, in Portland? Powell's. Oh love, yeah, yeah. Love going there. Oh my god, love it. I haven't been there in like twenty five years. Is it still? Is it similar? Same location or is it? It's, yeah, I mean, as far as I know, it's the same location. Now, obviously, these places are getting devastated one by one. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, immediately yeah, yeah. it was they're talking about moving it or you know tearing it down and building a freaking I don't know parking lot or a freaking hotel or something stupid. But I believe Pals is still okay. Um, I hope so. But yeah, I, I went there maybe a couple years ago last time, and uh, yeah, it still was still the same. It was great. There's a place called the Last Bookstore in LA. I don't know if you've been there. It's downtown LA. Yes, I have actually. Yeah, I did it's go crazy, there. Crazy, isn't it? I love that place too. And but the place that I end up going more often because I'm usually staying closer by is the um, just the little book soup. There on Sunset. Yeah, I like Book Soup. Yeah, that's where I, the last couple tours, that's where I've gone to stock up <laughs> my reading material, walk out of there with a big bag, throw it in the suitcase, and then just work my way through it. On now, the there's, there's another bookstore, two, basically sort of two doors down called Mystery Pair Books. And okay, you have to get cool. on this little alleyway. Oh, cool. So people like Johnny Depp and like Charlize Theron, all these people go in there and, and buy books. I interviewed those guys for a story, and it's like they nice. had like, they had a first edition of, um, Legend of Hell House. There you go. See, there. signed by the author, and, and and I guess also it was uh, the I guess his I guess the owner of the bookstore, his wife starred in the movie. Mm, mm. But I'm like, yeah, it's a little out of my. Price I was gonna range. say they're going down there. With, they got that first edition money, man. That's why they're going down the alley. It's yeah. like I ain't going down the alley. It's <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, it man. is so cool. Uh, we'll see. Maybe one day, but yeah, right now I'm I'm good. But yeah, that's fun. It's <laughs> fun. Yeah, no, I mean you know you can always dream. I mean I'm a big comic book fan too. It's so like comic. Sure. And I love the smell of old comic books. Oh yeah, I used to love. I mean, I I had quite a quite the collection as a as a kid. I loved it. I was, a, I was a Batman guy. Did you keep your collection? Is the question. See, the thing is, some <laughs> I know this is going <laughs> one or two. But my mother and she got into it, and and that was that. You know. Yeah, my parents were always cool about sort of leaving my stuff alone. Yeah, I mean, see, I had <laughs> I had comics, but then I and then it was records, and then it was, yeah. and then it you know, and then it's instruments, and it's 
wires and cables everywhere and amplifiers and stuff. So I think at some point she was just like, okay, look, something's got to give, you know? Like, <laughs> so it's yeah, they make that. I used to have like heavy metal pictures all all around yeah. the room yeah. um, back in the eighties, mm. and uh, and eventually when I took them down, I think my best friend actually helped because he wasn't a metal fan. He was like, "Yes, mm. so we finally get to take all this stuff down." But <laughs> it's like, "Oops." Um, now, how big is your book collection? You know, that's something I, I'm struggling with. Like, I, I you always buy more books, and you don't have to finish the ones you already bought. They're stacked everywhere. You know, my son is ten years old. He one day looked at these huge stacks. You know, and he was like. You read all these books, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, most of them. You know, there's a couple you know, that I'm still working my way toward. But yeah, basically, yeah, I've read them, read them all. And and it dawned on me, it's like, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot going on there. A lot of time. But I there is. I like it. I mean, and like I say, there's not. I don't know of necessarily a better way to spend your. I don't have much downtime, and so when I yeah. do, it's like I don't know a much better way to spend it because, again, for me, it's it's reassuring to know that, again, no matter who the person you were talking about might be, yeah. what they accomplished, that they all went through these, as we were saying earlier, these sort of struggles. They all went through this mundane stuff. Mm-hmm. They all went through, you know, they just they were they were struggling to get through the day too. And, and yet they managed to do some extraordinary things in yeah. spite of that and maybe in some cases because of it. And it's also reassuring to me to find that, again, as we mentioned earlier, all of the things going on right now and, and things much worse, they've all got these huge, long precedents that, yeah. that, you know, that go back thousands of years you can't even just talk about America's problems in terms of America. You have to go way before that. So I find all of that reassuring. It's just sort of like, okay, we've been fighting these battles forever. Yep. And, you know. And they're documented. They're documented. Right and, you know, as, as much as that can get sort of like, oh, wow, haven't we learned yet? It's sort of like at the same time, it's like, well, but. The world renews itself. The population renews itself. Unfortunately, there are these huge efforts made to keep people stupid and to not let them really learn the history. Not really. I mean, I went through probably better than average schooling as a kid and, and, you know, for the time anyway. And all of the really serious and interesting and nourishing historical reading that I've done has all been on my own. And all of the exploration that I've done has been outside the classroom. Well, it's also said, I mean, it depends on where you go and what the curriculum is. And I, I, Alex and I talked about that. Like, yeah. you know, I, I didn't read um, Catcher in the Rye. I read Franny and Zoe. Like, you know, you read different books by different people. I never read yeah, yeah. Great Gatsby, but I read Heart of Darkness. Right, and then, right, of course, right. in some in some states, they want to ban certain things, so you can't actually learn about those ideas. Well, and you're getting into literature. I'm just talking about history, but yeah, yeah. literature too. It's like, well, that stuff can stimulate the imagination, and and yeah, you're right. There's people that want to. There's always been people that want to ban stuff, you know? <laughs> and that kind of literature. Yeah, totally. Yeah, they, they, there's been a, a a move toward getting rid of that stuff off and on for decades, and and that's really too bad as well. But I'm I'm really just speaking about just. Just, just plain old history, man. I mean, yeah. we don't really learn it in a way that 
I didn't find that I learned anything in a way that was meaningful that I could sink my teeth into and take with me out into the world. It was sort of like, oh, there's facts, there's figures, there's these names. Here they are, regurgitate them next week on a test, and we're done. And, you know, in terms of things like the horrors that that made the founding of this country possible, you don't really learn anything meaningful. You learn it. Oh, you know, well, and then the Indians happened, and then they didn't happen anymore. And then, oh, slavery happened, you know, it was just... And then it was gone. It, it happened, and then Lincoln... Oh, and then Martin Luther King, plaster him up on the wall. We'll, we'll, we'll even maybe... When I was in school, they were, that was when the, the fight was going about making it a holiday, and then they, they right. finally did. And so now every, every 15th or thereabouts, we got to hear the, the I Have a Dream, the little snippet of I Have a Dream over the PA, and then... That's that. There's no effort to really deal with this stuff. Yeah. And at a certain point, you have to go, that's not just laziness. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. There's effort going into that. There's well, yeah. effort going into that. See, my school, I, I remember we, we learned so much history, I forgot a lot of it, because they were very, I did a lot of honors classes in high school, and it was really intense. Like, I, yeah. At a certain point, you're, you're, some teachers give you too much, and there's the opposite, too, or if you, they just... You have to absorb so much you can't remember it. Yeah, and you're worried about a test score. You want to yeah. get, you want to, you're going through all this effort. You want to go ahead and get, get, get the information right on the test so you can get the grade and, and yeah. you know, move on. But, yeah, again, I think, it's, I think it's about teaching this stuff in a way that you can actually apply it. And it's been such a long time since I was in school in the world. The country has changed yeah. in some pretty significant ways even since then. But... I know that, again, with my own child, it's like, you know, you make these efforts to take advantage of, of the positive changes that have taken place yeah. in the country and, and, you know, get him in a school where it's like, okay, this may cost me a fortune, but you're going to learn some stuff and it's going to be really awesome. And, it's and you better be, learn some stuff. And it's going to be learned <laughs> in a way that hopefully you can really take out into the world and use. Yeah. And to the extent that they don't satisfy that requirement to my sort of you know, yeah. you know in terms of what I would like then we'll this we're going to we're going to take care of it outside the classroom but yeah. it's not going to be this thing of like you're going to get 20 years old and all of a sudden realize oh whoa hey now there's a whole whole world out there that I did not know about and I got to deal with it well that also comes with life experience <clears throat> so like when I grew up outside of Boston and went it to does. NYU and I go to NYU and like <clears throat> oh my god it's like it was no, a, absolutely. It was much more mixed. I met I met people, from, especially with the college. Yeah. I met people from all over the world. Yeah. And sometimes I think college isn't necessarily about the classes you take. It's, it's if you actually if you leave your your comfort zone or you leave just the place you grew up, then you can do that. It's it's kind of a tricky balance though, because you mm-hmm. want to make especially with these days with the college, you want to make all those dollars count. Yeah, that's right. But it's yeah. finding a way to, to make it also also having teachers that actually care. I had a, a, a high school, I think my junior year uh, history professor, who was just very passionate. And very loud, but like just very dramatic, and that those are the ones you remember, and and, yeah. and those are the ones that can really change your life. You know, I was lucky in 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 my uh, last two years of high school. You know, I'd had the uh, again kind of the roller coaster education where it started out, you know, private school in kindergarten. Yeah, you know, because I'm I'm from Washington D.C. and and my mother was a D.C public school teacher okay. and in the 60s and into the 70s the DC public school system was just going to total hell and so 
she saw the writing on the wall and was like, okay, there's only so much I can do for these kids when the whole system is crumbling. I mean, she was always bringing kids home and kids from bad home lives and all these things, they're bringing it into the class. She was that person. She was the advocate. And she saw the writing on the wall and was like, my son's not going into this system, so we're going to figure something else out. So I ended up going to the school out in Annandale, Virginia. Well, that's Virginia, Virginia. Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about the early 70s and you had a lot of really hardcore racism out there. Like the kind where it's just, you know, like, was it, I think it's Chris Rock's, like, the, was it Chris Rock or was it, no, Chappelle, he's like, the racism is just, Mwah! you know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> yeah, these people know how to do it, you know what I mean? Like, yes. And so you go through that whole thing, which is its own book or whatever. And then, sure. yeah. then I moved to public, the public system. She, my mother remarried, we moved to Maryland outside D.C., so we're now in Maryland. We're in Columbia, Maryland. So we had to go to public school because my stepfather then took custody of his two daughters. So now we're the Brady Bunch, and we hmm. gotta we got to all figure out, like, what can we do for all the kids? So we all went into public school, and the quality of what you're learning went down. The quality of the teachers went down. And so I went through... The last year of elementary school and all of middle school and the first two years of high school in this public school system. Then we moved, we moved to Atlanta when we were first really starting high school. So that okay. then the downgrade went even further. Now we're dealing with the Georgia public school system, which is abysmal. Okay. Yeah. So when I got into, was going in 11th grade, it was sort of like, all right, I got to make a change. This is, I'm going to quit school if it's got to be like this, this is horrible. This is unacceptable. And, you know, at the same time, I was getting into really, really playing music, like forming bands and stuff like that. And so I was like, I am going to either get out of here and find a way to go back to D.C., live with my grandparents, do something. I don't know what I'm going to do, but this is not going to happen anymore. And so right as it was just getting to the boiling point, my band was getting gigs in Atlanta. Okay. And... The second gig I ever had on stage, my band AVOC opened for the Circle Jerks, which oh, you know, yeah. first generation hardcore. Yeah, yeah. So this was a huge deal just to get that gig. And we're underage as hell, so we couldn't even be in the club or at the gig unless we were on the bill. And played the show. It's a whole other saga in itself that what happened at that show. But right after the show, I met this girl who was my age. And first of all, I was like, what are you doing here? How did you even get in? And she was like, <laughs> and she was like, I came with my German teacher, Margie. So that blew my head off. I'm like, okay, uh-huh. first of all, you have a German teacher. Secondly, you call her by her first name. <laughs> what kind of school do you go to? And yeah. she told me, Horizons. Okay. So long and short of it, that summer, this was June 3rd of 83, okay. that summer I basically spent hanging out with this new group of kids who went to this school called Horizons. And when I visited the school over the summer, I found students in there painting the walls, sweeping the floors, doing, you know, repairs on the building. I'm like, what kind of school? This summertime. These kids are in here in the (laughs) summer working, I mean, doing manual labor. I was like, whoa, man, you know, and then I met the lady who ran the place. Her name is Lorraine Wilson. Right. And she changed my life because it just showed me, it's like, wow, these people care enough about this school 
the students are here working on summer break. This woman, I could just tell her aura was so extraordinary. She was like a, she was a little, short little lady, hair down to the floor. She was like a cross between Joan Baez and Yoda. <laughs> she was just this <laughs> otherworldly kind of figure. I mean, I was like, I have to go here. I have to go here. And I knew there was a tuition involved and all that stuff. And I knew that my folks were not only going to have a struggle with paying this tuition, but also with the fact that, oh, this, is the, this was a small school. It was in an apartment building. Oh, wow. The school was in an apartment building on Ponce Leon Avenue in Atlanta. And the building called the Ponciana, built in the 20s. So it's this little building. It looked like it, looks like it could be a house, but it was divided into, into apartments. Right. And... You know, they're running a school out of here. It's just a, everything about this looks illegitimate and weird and just kind of, you know, to especially to my folks. And so, sure enough, I went and broached the subject and they were like, yeah, no. And <laughs> so, yeah. so I was like, okay, all right, so what's your plan then? And they were going to enroll my sister into North Fulton. It's a public school, better right. than average. Right. Up in Buckhead in Atlanta, a nice area of Atlanta. And... They said, well, why don't you just at least go with your sister when she gets enrolled? Why don't you go with us? So I went, and it was like, you know how they do Snoopy in the Charlie Brown cartoon when they, he's going to the vet? But then yeah, yeah. I got in the car, and then on the highway, I found out, oh, no, I'm getting enrolled, too. Yeah, <laughs> there like, we go. And it was like, no. you know, the plaster on the, on the window. I'm like, nah! <laughs> <laughs> so we get there. And we sit down with the head of the whatever and, you know, and they're, they're putting you through the paces. And I didn't say one word. I refused to speak to anybody. So we went through the whole thing somehow without me saying one word to anybody. Wow. I got enrolled and I ended up, then school year started. I'm livid the whole time. School year started. I went for three days. On the third day, I took the bus from Buckhead, back down to Midtown. I went, knocked on Lorraine Wilson's door at the Ponciana because she lived there. And she opened the door and I just came in and I just poured my whole soul out to her. I was like, and they, they paid me to go to the school and they won't pay and they won't do it, you know. And so she listened, didn't say one thing. And after I finished my whole screed and I'm just like you know, puddle on the floor, you know, she's like, okay. You can come tomorrow. For free, she meant. She was like, Wow. There's nothing, you know, forget wow. about it. You know what I mean? You're yeah. coming. That was it. It changed my life, period. It, it did. I, cool. I, I flourished in my last two years of school. And that's the difference. I mean, I, all this, I've talked for a half an hour, but all this was based on what you were just saying about the, the teachers that care. Yeah. I had a teacher that cared, that lady and, cared. And that's what's gotten into keeping up with all this stuff and reading about people in history and, it just, and having it was that just passion like, for it. It was just like, okay, I can get through high school. I can be around this group of kids that are more like me. I can. It was a launch pad to a lot of things because my band flourished. We basically created the hardcore scene in Atlanta. But a lot of that was because not only was I really driven to do something musically there, but it was also I had that undergirding of like, right. I'm in a school where I, I, you have to go to school every day. It's like your job. 
Uh-huh. And if you're miserable, or if you feel like your safety is in jeopardy every day, you know, if you go into a school that's full of jocks, they run the school, right. the teachers don't care, it's f***ing bedlam, every classroom, you can't go to math class without there being some kind of upheaval every day because some kids yeah, well, want to show tough thing. out yeah. and fight and all that, you know, you might get wrapped up in it. I knew that if I stayed where I was, I was either going to get hurt or killed, or I was going to have a f- and meltdown and hurt somebody or kill somebody. You know what I mean? It was that kind of environment. It was just a powder keg. And I couldn't stand feeling that level of oppression every day. And so these kids, you know, that are... In the, and this is before everybody was medicating kids to death. You know what I mean? It was, it, right, was, right. It, was, it was a thing, but it wasn't a thing like it is now. And I can only imagine what kids go through now because now you have to worry about somebody coming in from outside and blowing you away. You know, you, at least in my time, it was mostly fist fighting and you know, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. somebody's going to take no, a chair and clobber somebody. And do, Black it was, War Jungle days. It was, yeah, it was ridiculous, yeah. but it wasn't firearms and, you know, and all of that, you know. But the thing is, I made a change and the change really, it certainly saved my school career. Yeah. And I think the ripple effect of that was that it sort of saved my Spirit, in a way, you know, because it's like, well, okay, now I come into the city every day and I see my friends every day and I go yeah. to band practice. Like, you know what I mean? It was just healthy, man. It was just, it was exactly what I needed, you know? So, so, and lastly, any favorite book or anything you would recommend people should read? Recommend? Something stimulating. Christ, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot, everything I read is stimulating. <laughs> I won't read it if it's not stimulating. Well, sometimes you can pick something and be like, yeah. oh, that didn't work out so well. It's like movies. No, it's true. But, I mean, but for yeah, the but most <laughs> part, for me, it's like I'm going to look at the cover. I mean, right. I, I do my shopping. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I spend hours in a bookstore. She knows. I can spend hours in the bookstore. But, yeah, I don't know. I would say, um, look, the book on Oscar Me Show is great because not enough people know about that man. Mm. And I think his experience teaches us a lot about America. It's not just about that one man's life. It was that this guy was working his way through the systems in America yeah. that are designed to destroy you. You know, and he made his way in spite of a lot of that stuff. But I think what he went through a hundred years ago could teach us a lot about right now. I want to check it out now. So sure, yeah. So yeah. Well, thank you, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. That was fun. Man. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> that wraps up this latest episode of Side Jams. Please join me for the next installment, which will feature Dream Theater frontman James Labrie. The tunes used in this episode are from Fox and the Law, and I licensed them through AudioSocket. As always, thanks very much for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
and why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 